Next question is your ideal fry up. Right, my ideal fry up uh, would be bacon, mushrooms, tomatoes, fried bread, and some baked beans, probably to have yeah. a bit of juice to it. Get out of the egg. It's pretty solid. It's a solid option, isn't it? Washed down with the stove press. For breakfast. For breakfast. <laughs> Absolutely. You know it's going to be a good day, don't you? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to the First Solution Podcast, episode four. Our podcast series brings interviews with leading Southwest UK business leaders talking technology, sustainability, digital transformation, and more. In this episode, we're delighted to bring you our chat with Daryl Hinksman of Western Cider. We cover, as usual, a wide range of topics, including how Westerns have adapted dynamically to the pandemic, the immense growth in the popularity of cider, and the future of the beverage industry. We delve into the history of Western Cider, its links to the region and its community work with the 50 Mile Project. We end the chat with our signature deadly animal trump card battle and end the debate once and for all as to what should be on an English breakfast plate. So without further ado, over to the recording and we hope you enjoy. So Daryl, it's, pl- it's a pleasure to have you on the on the podcast. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me. We've just had a, a wonderful lunch at the Ivy. Yeah, nice. Um, Black and cod not, for me, Paul. Yeah, I was wondering, what was that leaf? <laughs> was it a banana leaf you had? I think it may have been. Didn't taste very nice. <laughs> I don't think you're going to eat it either. Just posh fish and chips, really. <laughs> and uh, Nigel ordered me the burger. I was thinking it might have been the superfood salad, but it was the burger. So well, You get the cheese and the pancetta, Paul. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so again, so thanks for coming on, Daryl. No worries. So, um, how are things? Yeah, good. Obviously, been the uh, the strangest of times for the last six months, um, especially involved in an industry like the alcohol industry, where fifty percent of your customers have been pretty much closed for five months. So, mm-hmm. it's been an interesting time with some interesting challenges, and has forced us down certain routes to reassess things, um, which is still ongoing. You know, it's yeah. fascinating. It's a it's a changing picture day by day, isn't it? It it is. You know, it's changed this morning. There's there's new rules being announced today that might well affect pub going. You know, limiting it to groups of six. Mm. Who who knows what the impact's going to be? It could scare some people off altogether. Who knows? Mm. Mm. And and do you, I don't think we're even close to seeing what the impact on the industry is, are we? How do you feel about that? No, not really. I mean, the key dynamics are obviously the on trade, as we call it, so sales of product on premise pubs, bars, hotels, went back to zero virtually from, from the end of March and only started to pick up in August. Uh, we're about 92% of pubs are open now compared to pre-lockdown, but the level of sales is nothing like that because they've got uh, fewer people in them, uh, they're selling less product generally. Uh, we think it's about 80% of where it would normally be. But again, that also varies a lot geographically. So London will be below that. Right. Yeah. So people are not commuting to offices. You know, one of the one of the, if you like, benefits, if there is such a word for for the last few months, is more people have realised they can work from home, as a, as a business on a small scale. Mm. We've we've done more and more of that. Um, mm. But obviously, people are still very nervous about commuting into large cities. Mm. So the associated after pub drink, after work drinks in pubs, that's not happening. Cool. It was a big thing in London, wasn't it? I used to love the London pub scene after work. It was something special. Yeah, especially on a Thursday night. Yeah. Thursday was the weekend, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thursday night in central London. You know, I worked in central London for a while. Thursday night was a big night because a lot of people who, who were going home went home on a Thursday. Was the big night? I mean, I, I don't know if you ever had a night out in the in the square mile on a Saturday. It's like <laughs> it's dead. It's, it's dead. No, I did. Yeah. My wife and I did a char- charity swim uh, a couple of years back, and we ended up trying to get something to eat in the square mile on Saturday tea time. Of course, everything's closed. We didn't realise. It It is because it's a ghost town. Mm. Even change closed down, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Do you think think that 8%, you said 92% of pubs open? Yeah. Is that 8% ever going to open or are they still waiting for something to happen? A combination of both. So some will not reopen. Some who have opened to take advantage of the government scheme, the eat out to help out, yeah. probably may close. Right. You know, they took advantage of that. If that's gone, it yeah. may not be viable. Um, but you know, you, we, our view is around ninety percent probably yeah. Yeah. will will be open 
once things have sorted yes. themselves out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with the government support and yeah. Like yeah, 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 yeah. You've got to look look at it optimistically. And, and have you seen the the kind of retail sale? side of things excuse me if I don't get the right terminology yeah, yeah. but the yeah, you know, on yeah. the shelf stuff yeah, so, is that so, sort of yeah yes it has oh wow you just raised your hand to indicate going up yes, yes. yeah I did no, thank yes. you yes it, it's gone up so yeah it's, it's uh, not visual this Paul yeah <laughs> still learning still learning <laughs> like the radio yeah no it, thumbs it, up Nigel yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was fascinating and it, and it happened immediately so virtually within days of lockdown we started to see mm significant increases of orders. It wasn't just me. Lives, can't you? Well, uh, clearly, uh, it suggests people are still drinking the same amount of alcohol, but yes. they're not, instead of drinking it in the pub, they're drinking it at home. Mm. And who knows how that might change habits for future. It's, clearly, yeah. it's a lot cheaper to drink at home. Mm. You haven't got to worry about transportation, you know, but yeah. then when you go into the on-trade, so into the pubs, it's a different, it's about the total experience. Yeah. It's about, again, good quality, right glass, good ambiance with friends. Mm. But you go at home, you get a 48-inch 4K TV or whatever, and you're paying a quarter of the price. It's a balance. Yeah. I mean, what I have found is that, you know, there's, in terms of how this all works and, you know, our culture of going to the bar, you know, obviously that's the thing we can't do anymore. And there's, there's some pubs that I've been to that have done, done it terribly in terms of the contact tracing, ordering, it's just a bit chaos. Yeah. Um, there's one around the corner from me, um, I'll give them a shout out, the Royal Oak in, in Presbury, uh, and it's brilliant. So you, you sit there, you, you, know, you scan the, the QR code, it brings up the menu, you tap a few buttons, and then literally two minutes later they come along and you drink, all paid for. Yeah, it's, it's a good chain though, the Royal Oak, because it's, a, it's, it's a, a Raymond Blanc chain, isn't uh, it? It's a Buckham. Oh, Buckham. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But they, they've nailed it. So yeah. it varies enormously. Some do it really, really well. The Green King chain, which is one of the biggest chains, you can download an app, which obviously gives them all your details. So you t when you turn up, you register on the app, you, you link your credit card to it. So you sit at your table, you order your drinks, you pay for your drinks. It, it's done very efficiently. You get briefed on the way in yeah. uh, as to how to handle things, how to go to the loo, or, you know, brilliantly done others you'd have to say are a little less organized yes. <laughs> some of the country pubs in Herefordshire where I live you really wouldn't know there'd been a pandemic <laughs> if I'm being honest you know. uh, awesome. yeah but I think I think you know like when I think about you know my partner and you know she's she doesn't like going to the bar and trying to order a drink you know she's well happy with the setup now and the the table service that is, you know, is going to be around for the stay. So, yeah. I mean, that's te technology there, isn't it? And we were saying over yeah. lunch that that technology has been around forever. It's not new technology. It's not cutting edge technology. But disruption in the market created by the pandemic yeah. has just accelerated its adoption. Mm -hmm. You know, delivering a better customer experience for everybody. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Now, adoption of technology, that, that, that's a great example. Um, you know, we, we've had people working remotely and we've been using various video conferencing platforms. It's made it much easier. It, it's better for the planet, you know. Yeah. We haven't got people driving from here in Cheltenham to Ledbury every day to sit and do a meeting and they, they sit in their lounge at home but then you don't have the social interaction so it's balances all, all around. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I think there is a a good balance to be found and yeah it's that forcing change isn't it and I, I can't remember the exact phrase but you know they talk about you know necessity is the mother of all invention they talked about the technological progress over the second world war um that too that too yeah, they had to do it yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. 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 and the hand was forced yeah yes so and so how is how's the business set today at the moment we, we doing all right yeah we are actually um so over the last six months, because we reacted very quickly um, to what was going on, I was sent to Nigel beforehand over lunch, we, um, we decided almost a week before lockdown was officially announced that it was pretty inevitable. So we knew that it would have a major impact on our business. So we, as a senior leadership team, we started to meet at 12 o'clock every day. And we did that for the next 100 days. 
so we just kept going kept going kept going um, and immediately we made some big decisions about our production you know so we stopped keg production which mm. was you know a, a decent part of our production 50% of all our business was into pubs so we stopped that overnight because we knew we could switch it on as yeah. quickly as we wanted to we also anticipated there would be an off trade so a take-home business demand so we upped our lines the speed of our lines put more people on the lines we rationalized the amount of well we call them skews stop keeping units stop keeping units yeah. that we that we hold um, to focus on the big sellers so we wouldn't run out of anything um, and the demand over the ensuing three to four months was, was quite significant um, and because we'd made those, decision, those decisions quite quickly, we were in a position to supply um, all the major grocers with our products. So we, we had decent service levels right across the summer, whereas it's probably fair to say some of our competitors didn't, and we did benefit from that. I and mean, it's the attitude, for me, it's the attitude at the moment you're hit with a crisis, yeah. what do you do? Yeah. What, you know, as an individual, what do you do as a business? How do you respond to the crisis? Yeah. Do you see an opportunity there what, there within? Or do you yeah. see a, all do you see is the crisis? Yeah. And those that see the opportunity are the ones that benefit. Yeah, and exactly. it's brilliant. That. I love the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, th the thing that took us by surprise, we, we've had an online business. So this is our own website that sells direct to consumer. So not via Tesco Direct or Ocado or whatever. This is our own website where you can go on Western's website, order your products, get them delivered to your home. That's been in existence for four or five years and it was tickling along. In May, it grew 20-fold. Mm. And it's, it's not at that level now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the month of August was 10 times the month of August last year. Really? And that seems to be where it's leveled out. And that represents a permanent change of habit. Yeah. You know, people have realised I can buy a product and get it shipped to my home. I can also buy merchandise that actually I can't buy. If I, if I want to go and buy Stouffer Press in a supermarket, I can go and buy it. But I can't buy a Stouffer Press bubble hat if that's what I really want to wear when I'm drinking it. Or, <laughs> believe it or not, or a Stouffer Press glass to drink it in. Whereas you, you can make all those things available online. Brilliant. It's much more flexible. Yeah. But you're also driving different merchandise down the same channel at the point of purchase. Yeah. So you're growing revenues per head. Yeah. It's, yeah. 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 And, and there are logistics issues surrounding that. Um, it is quite expensive to transport alcohol because it's heavy yeah. direct to people's homes. So you have to, you have to work out what's the most efficient packs to sell mm. to maximise the sort of distribution costs. And the Who really does it. your distribution? Uh, it's APC and that's because there are very few couriers in the UK that will um, courier glass right so it's obviously it's fragile it's, it's yeah. difficult to handle yeah, so yeah. they're one of the few that will courier glass so I think most people that have this sort of business use APC okay yeah but I mean on the website I've got it in front of me now yeah. I mean yeah. as someone who is a bit of a geek Terms, in terms of website design and yeah. look and feel and things like that, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. It's, yeah. I mean, I don't know who's done the work there, but it's just the brand just comes at you, doesn't yeah. it? What, what we try, you know, we've been going for 140 years, so what we try and do is reflect the history, heritage, provenance of being and making the same sort of product for 140 years, mm. but in a modern way as well. Yes. So that's the balance that we've got to get right. Mm. Got a better way than modern interlopers, haven't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You know, we, we make cider the same way as Henry Weston did in 1880. We just make a lot more of it. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, a bit more, more automated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that is, in, when you think about it, and you, you know, the, the, the website reflects the branding on the bottles. Yeah. And although, you know, you're different, you know, you've got your, your Henry Westons, you've got your Stouffords, you've got your Rosy Pigs, and they're all, quite different but they're all the same and it's, yeah. it's a, it seems like an art form to me how you yeah how you do that yeah they're, they're very different they're very different consumers that they're targeted for yeah. you know henry westerns is very much an off-trade brand mm. so this is a brand that people will buy in supermarkets convenience stores whatever to take home and consume at home you can get it in your trade but not very widespread stouffer press started as an entree on trade brand a keg brand so right. sold in 50 litre kegs to people who want to drink dry, pints of draft cider, keg cider, then went into the 
off trade as it started to become more popular. Mm. So yeah, so you build up your your brand yeah. loyalty there. Yeah, yeah. and things like Rose's Pig is aimed at a much more modern consumer, much more female consumer. Yes. Mm. You know, cider cider's lucky. You know, it's pretty unisex anyway, mm. but fruit cider is even more unisex for for a long alcoholic drink. Mm. Most long alcoholic drinks, so beers, lagers, cider, stouts, are aimed at young men, whereas cider is more unisex and fruit cider even more so. Right, right. And like the, the um, quite trendy, the recordling, is it? Recordling, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite... Swedish, Swedish cider, so right. trendy Swedish fruit, fruit cider. Not in any sense. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, North right. It's not proper cider, is it? I, I'm, I'm not going to criticise them because they've been fantastically successful. <laughs> of course. You know, they've done very, very well and they've, they've opened up new consumers to the cider market yeah okay so what the 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 hope of a traditional cider maker like ourselves is that brands like this bring consumers into the category okay who then eventually become wise to what's really good yeah, yeah. <laughs> let them do all the hard work yes. <laughs> yeah i like it yeah yeah I mean, yeah I mean, we were talking about the ivy weren't we about the you know my first experience of cider was sitting in a in a park and someone brings out a magnus yeah. and then they've got a glass of ice and they pour it into the yeah. the pint of you know the glass yeah. of ice and it's yeah. got this radiate radiating color on the yeah. on the sun and it's interesting yeah. how it's gone from what was a very unfashionable drink to something to rigor isn't it yeah i mean there's been there's been three or four key milestones in the sort of evolution of cider since you know i've been involved in it since 1983 mm. working in it my family of apple growers have been in it all my life wow. but since 1983 you've had the growth of strongbow as a brand which sort of took cider to a different level then you had all the really strong and white ciders that came along you know the white lightning I've tried it. White stripe, I've tried it. diamond white, all those. <laughs> diamond white, that was the other one. Yeah, I, was yeah, I thought it was. They're virtually, <laughs> they're virtually all gone, man. Yeah. Virtually all gone. Then Magnus come along, cider over ice, pint bottle poured into a glass. What, mm. what the hell's that about? Just different, mm. different. And then probably more recently, draft. Well, initially bottled and then draft fruit ciders. Mm. So fruit ciders have really changed the market, and and the market thrives at the premium end and fruit fruit side of it whereas is in decline at the value and white end. So yes. the traditional white ciders or, or big plastic bottles of cider for relatively low value, that side of it's in decline, which for a premium company like ourselves is good news. We, we don't compete in, in that no. sector of the market. So, Do you think we've got the, Britain's got sort of the best cider in the world? Yes. There's no hesitation there, was there? <laughs> I've, I've tasted cider all over the world. It's very different in other parts of the world. Um, and the reason we have the best cider in the world, for my palate, is because we have bittersweet apples. Right. So these are apples that are grown primarily within the three counties, so not exclusively, but Herefordshire, Worcestershire, Gloucestershire. Mm -hmm. uh, these are specific apples to produce cider. Right. You couldn't eat one. They are very, very acidic, high in tanning. A bit like you wouldn't eat... Or a wine grape would you this not yeah that this yeah different. exactly that yeah. exactly that so you know we, we, we own we own a small cider company in australia and a, and a wholesaler in australia um and actually you can get some bittersweet based ciders that are produced in australia um and that came about because of the number of expats from the mm. uk who didn't want sickly sweet bland ciders right. wanted something that had a bit of bite to it so the best ciders in the world, in my view, are produced in England and they are produced around here, within 30 miles of where we're sitting now. Brilliant. You wanted some insight, that's insight. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, French do cider, right? French do cider, so uh, Normandy and Brittany are cider areas. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, they grow a lot of apples around there. They used to grow bittersweet apples around there, but they don't anymore. Um, they tend to be... Ciders, slightly sparkling ciders done at very low ABV, two and three percent, often in a um, champagne style bottle. Mm. Uh, not exclusively, but often um, very artisan, yes. consumed with crepe often. Right. I had, I had a cider with a galette in France. Oh, a galette, yeah, 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 just like a crepe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What's a galette? It's a buckwheat, uh, it's a pancake made out of buckwheat as opposed to flour wheat. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I and mean, is there much about sort of food? Because obviously it'd be cheese, wouldn't it? Cider and cheddar and things like that. But is there? Yeah, yeah Starting to think about. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a lot of work that's actually been done matching cider with food. Um, there is a historic view that cider will always go well with anything that can thrive in the orchard in which it grows. So, because traditionally, cider trees were in big orchards. They weren't planted extensively as they are now. And pigs or sheep would wander around those orchards until the apples started to drop, in which case they'd get them out to, A, stop them eating the apples and make themselves ill, and B, that they can actually then go in and harvest those apples and pick them up and make cider from it. So cider with pork, ever since I've been involved, has always been always been talked about both in terms of matching so mm-hmm. having a t- particular type of cider um, when you have a pork meal or cooking with so cider yeah. boiled in pork or cooked in pork or sausages we would do our Christmas ham yeah. uh, boiled in cider yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 and um, cider also because it's quite strong in flavour can go with can match well with foods that are strong for like curries yeah so, so cider tends to do well in curry houses uh, because it's a strong flavour to beat again. You you either want something bland, so you get hence the growth of some of these Asian style beers, which are quite bland. Mm. Yeah, they're just quite light lagers. Very light they? lagers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, and that's because it doesn't impair of the flavour of the curry. Mm. Or you want something that's really strong. So you have a curry, then you have another strong taste, and then you go back to the curry. You either complement or you contrast. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Gosh. I think fish might work as well. Yeah, it? yeah, some people say that, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, you can see a light sparkling cider with a, a salmon or, yeah, I, I can understand that. I think we should experiment. Yeah. We need to... Uh, go back to the Ivy. Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> tell them what's what. Yeah. So, and, and how's, um, you know, obviously we've seen it in the UK and the, the growth of, of, of cider here. I mean, and abroad, I think you mentioned Australia. Yeah, yeah, um, so uh, we export... We export to 44 markets from the UK. Uh, our biggest is Australia, where we export finished product from the UK, but we also now produce in Australia as well. We've got a small cider company called Custard & Co, which is based just outside Perth. Well, just outside in Australia terms. Yeah, about four hours. Which I found out when I had to drive yeah. from <laughs> Perth to visit the factory, and it's 200 miles away. Wow. And they told me it was just outside. But yeah, so we produce... We produced there. We acquired that just nearly 12 months ago. Well, Perth in the middle of nowhere, is it not? Yeah, it is. So it of itself is in yeah. kind of isolated. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, you know, it's in Western Australia. It's yeah. the, remote, the most remote city of over a million people in the world. Okay. Furthest from any other city yeah, of a million people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a few million people living in Western Australia. There's a lot of mm-hmm. British expats and heritage yeah. there. So cider does well in Australia generally, but especially in Western Australia. Um, if we look elsewhere in the world, Germany is a big market for us. I was, okay. I was explaining it to uh, Nigel earlier, N- almost exclusively into the on-trade. So we have a partner over there, which is one of Germany's major brewers. They sell Stouffer Press uh, into British and Irish style pubs right across Germany. Uh, we export mm. to uh, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Finland, Sweden. Uh, they tend to go for Henry Weston style products, so a, a stronger, heavy flavour, um, which suits the palate. Cider is growing in the USA. Yes. Uh, that's quite different though at the moment. Um, it's, it's a bit like the craft beer movement. It's lots of local producers who are doing well. What, what they are starting to do is some of them are now starting to mimic British-style ciders, so the more challenging bittersweet ciders mm. rather than the bland right. alcoholic apple juice that, yeah. that they've been yeah. used to in the past. Yeah. Right. Let them work hard at developing the market and swoop in. Exactly that. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> we, we are present there now. We, we, yeah. we, we sell one of our products through a distributor in the US. Uh, but it's it's difficult market to get into because it's so it's so diverse. Legislation, mm. duty legislation varies from state to state. It's like fifty odd different countries, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And even the way that they do business is fundamentally different. Certainly, yeah. I know about around retail. Yeah. How you get your products into? Yeah, it's, uh, it's just a different different thing entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I I was over in the states 
again just before lockdown there was a big cider conference in um, just outside San Francisco and there was, there was it was huge you know there was a thousand people attending this conference and 400 different cider producers oh wow um, you know and of varying scales from little almost in a shed in the back of a farm to quite major producers of cider but there's a real momentum behind it uh, they think it's the next thing coming on from craft beers or seltzers which have been huge in the US and yeah, yeah. wow I mean I think that I don't know the, the idea of you know selling cider and you know abroad and you know being on, on tap over there I yeah. mean at first you're like wow but then you're like well actually you know you walk into any pub in the UK and there'll be you know you know Danish lager yeah. Or, yeah. you know maybe a French lager yeah. why not the other way well so. what you've also got to think as well is there's a very base raw material and that is apples mm. apples are grown in almost every country in the world so you suspect that there's people in the past have experimented with producing apple alcohol from apples so you know we know in various markets around the world uh cider is starting to mushroom in, in asia there's 10 countries in asia that are in the top 10 growth that all 10 are in the top 10 growth countries in the world from very small base but they're just starting to switch on to the fact that you can have an alcoholic drink which is perceived perhaps to be a bit more natural than beer because you're basically just producing alcohol from an apple um you've got the base raw materials you've got a very wide range of styles and flavors what you can do with it that you can do with it yeah 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 i mean i always associated my earliest association with cider was woodpecker yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, which yeah. is going back a little while. But then I always associate cider with a sunny day. So it's a, it's a cider day. Mm-hmm. So the sun's shining. Today is the day we're going to drink cider yeah. uh, outside in the sun. So I think when you go to the warmer climates, a cold cider lends itself better to that kind of environment uh, than... Yeah. Maybe some of the lagers. I mean, if it's thrived in, you know, rainy, wet UK, then surely... Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you know, sat, sat outside a bar on the seafront just outside Perth with a three degrees pint of 4.5% Stouffer Press is extremely pleasant. <laughs> oh. <laughs> when it's 40 degrees, you know. <laughs> well, I'm looking out this you know, grey yeah. day at the moment. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I can see the appeal. Yeah. Good. And, and so, I mean, we, we touched upon, you know, the website and the brand in terms of your marketing you, you know you do a lot with sport yeah yeah so obviously we've got the the association with gloucester and stouffer press we've been involved with gloucester with you know, various times we've been on the back of the shirt on the shorts we've got bars we've got a stand branded up at gloucester obviously at kinto yeah. Yeah. um we work with them closely on the bars we do a lot of activation around king's home so, you know, if it, the bars that stock Stoford around the ground, we make sure that they've always got everything they need in terms of point of sale. If they want um, parasols or whatever to show consumers wandering, wandering to the ground, whatever, the, they sell Stoford, we do a lot of that. Uh, rate of sale uh, of cider at King's Home is strong. Mm, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's, it's a good association for us. Yeah, we've got porridge rights to other... Um, Premier League rugby rounds, but but Gloucester's our focus and Gloucester's our main one. It's in the three counties. Yeah. It's high profile. Um, yeah, the centre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Can I just ask a question away from the sponsorship piece? Is it easier to pull to keep a good barrel of cider and pull it out of a pump than it is other lagers and other drinks? Is it? Does it take less care? Or is that just yes? I, w- I, w- I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to say that you don't have to look after it. You've got to clean your lines and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, c- cider is remarkably robust. Yes. So it, it's got a long shelf life when it goes into a keg. Um, you'd have to be quite negligent to really mess it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it's ro- It's a robust product in bottle in bottle and in keg. Yeah. Yeah. I get the sense, and that makes it a good a good wholesale product, then, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Because it's what completely uneducated guess on why is it because it's got higher acidity, so therefore um, well, it's, it's, less, it, 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 it's not a, it's not once it's in a keg or in a bottle, it's not a living product. It's got relatively high ABV. Alcohol alcohol kills protects germs. it, kills yeah. germs. Yeah. It's pretty natural, so there's not a lot of anything else in it to go, to go off really. Right, so, right, yeah. right, yeah. 
That makes sense. Yeah. So, so Gloucester Rugby is the, the focus. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Gloucester Rugby, another a uh, couple of other Premiership grounds, Newcastle Falcons. We've been involved with Leicester Tigers. We've been involved in uh, cricket. We're in, I think, five first-class grounds. Right. So you know, you, you can have a sponsorship. You can have a primary or secondary sponsorship. You can just have porridge rights in the grounds. So we're we're, we're in. Are the you grounds. in Edgbaston? We are in Edgbaston. I have had a side at Edgbaston. Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw England retain the Ashes on a side a day at Edgbaston. Oh, I mean, there's a beautiful one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ed- Ed- yeah. Edgbaston was the biggest drinks consuming ground of the yes. cricket grounds. Yeah. I can remember going in and I met a customer, and it was the guy that I left at the Gardano service station on the way back from the Arms Bar. It was the first time I'd met him, and it was 11 o'clock. And I went to meet him at a bar, and I said, Oh, Andy. Yeah. And I said, Do you want a pint? And he went, I'll have a Stouffford, please. And I went, oh, God. <laughs> Long day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Two Stouffords, please. And that was the end of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Brilliant. Gosh, I mean, your cricket, again, that, that kind of sunshine moment, is it? Exactly. It? Yeah. yeah, and, you know, cricket, it's, it's a bit like rugby. It's social, but it goes on all day. <laughs> you know, yes. you, you, you go to, to Edgebaston, and you can be there from 11 o'clock till 6 o'clock, mm. you know, in the sunshine, hopefully. And you do the um, music festival as well. Yeah, you? yeah, we've had porridge rights at various music festivals. Um, you, you, you tend to pitch for them every year. You work, you work with a partner who might have the right to run the bars in a certain festival. Right. Uh, cider does disproportionately well as a share of total alcohol in festivals. So okay. the sort of people who would go to festivals like to are very similar to the sort of demographic who would drink cider. Yeah. Uh, and they tend to be in the summer. They're obviously out of doors. The associations are a very positive one. So yeah, we've been involved in very. And it keeps positive. well, and it pours well, yeah, it tastes nice. Yes, you know, yeah, yeah, you can guarantee it, can't you? That, and that's another element of the business that just disappeared in 2020. Yes. Oh gosh. All the festivals gone. Yeah. Yeah. Massive industry. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's been growing. The number of festivals available every year has been growing and growing. You know, it's not that long ago when people knew of Glastonbury and one or two others. Isn't that's, there a Westerns yeah. festival down here? In Cheltenham somewhere, the back we, of the Cheltenham. We do the Cheltenham Western, Jazz Festival. Western Cider Festival. There is, there's a cider festival at Winchcombe. That's, oh, that's the yeah, one I must yeah, be thinking of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is music and cider. That's the yeah. theme of it, yeah. Uh, yeah. But obviously not this year. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Perfect, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, even that, the, you know, that whole live music scene, I mean, yeah. it's a massive industry, isn't it? And yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. disappeared. Stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. probably going to be one of the last to come back, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we, we've been, Henry Weston's has sponsored Cheltenham Jazz for five or six years now, and it's been a great association. You get superb exposure on Radio 2. You work with Jamie Cullum. Jamie Cullum is a, sort of one of, I think he's the principal of the whole thing. Mm. He uh, it, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, it's, and it's worked really well for us, but, and that, didn't obviously didn't happen this year. It's normally the over the back first bank holiday in May. Mm. It's been really successful, high profile, but gone. Mm. I think they did try and take it online. They did I some online bits, and, and, reasonably uh, successful with, you know, yeah. given the circumstance. But. Yeah, some of the artists that had previously done sessions for us allowed us to use those again online this year. So, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, tell me about the the fifty mile project. Yeah, the fifty mile project it relates to the fact that. All our cider is produced from apples that we grow within 50 miles of our mill. So again, this is basically your Herefordshire, Worcestershire, Gloucestershire. Uh, and we feel that we should, A, over-focus everything we do in, the, in that region. Um, so we are, in addition to the, the main sponsorship we've got in the region, which is Gloucester Rugby, we're involved with Hereford Football, we're involved in the theatre in Hereford, um, we're involved with very various charitable projects in and around the Wetlands Trust, mm-hmm. uh, and it's all about we we will give undue consideration to be involved in things that are within the three counties. Okay. We, we regard it as our heartland. Um, Westerns has been where they are since 1880. If you speak to our RMD, she'll say her ambition is to leave a business that's able to go for another 140 years in the same location but continuing to evolve and change and adapt to the market and her view and the view of all of us as a leadership team is that we're really we are firmly rooted in our geography we are where we are because the apples are here so we need to acknowledge that we we would never ever move our cider production facility anywhere else 
Just because it was cheaper. We would not do it for that reason. Others have. Yeah, you of know. course they have, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, people tune into that value in the brand though, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think it's really important, yeah. you know, today yeah. in these kind of difficult times that people are rooted in the right values, their brand is rooted in the right values. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and we've we've got a, a soil and a climate around here that lends itself to the production of the bittersweet apples, those apples I mentioned earlier. And that's why there are so many cider makers around here of the traditional type of cider. Mm -hmm. That's why we're here. I mean, it's, uh, you know, so I think that the buzzword is is that you could attach to it would be sustainability. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that it's, you know, First Illusion have got a particular interest in it. I think we've learned a lot from, we've got an association with Forest Green Rovers Football Club, okay. and you know, they are the, the, one of the real thought leaders in, in you know, that kind of area. But you know, it sounds like that's what you, you kind of Yeah, I mean, we, we, we filter all our water through a natural wetland system that's on site. So we, we do all that. Our water is drawn from our own spring. Um, which is about a mile, it's where the MD lives actually, she lives on the site where the, the natural spring is. Uh, we've got solar panels on the roof, we reclaim rainfall. It, it, so all we've always water, done it, you know. It's, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. what you do. So all the water from the side, it comes from the natural spring? Not all of it, yeah. sometimes there's not enough, yeah. so we have to supplement it, but that's yeah. how it started, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's brilliant, isn't it? It is good, isn't it, yeah. It just means a lot more, doesn't it? It does. Do, so. it, it gives you a sort of a provenance. It gives you a heritage that you know. You know the the, the house that Henry Weston moved to in 1880 is our factory is built around it. Guy, our cider maker, who is the fifth generation of the Weston family, lives in that house. Yeah. You know, he can't get away from work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he must have a yacht somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <what was> <laughs> Lockdown, oh, yeah. here. <laughs> like, didn't make much difference to, to yeah. yeah. Gosh, um, I mean, we touched upon it in the Ivy, and you know, we and we talked about you know the, the kind of barcode stuff at the Royal Oak, my local. But I mean, how do you see technology changing your industry? Yeah, a couple of areas really. Um, what one specific one is um, when you sell kegs, so you've got a fifty-liter stainless steel keg, which costs a lot of money. You need to be able to track them, where they are, um, and it, that's to stamp out not only misuse of them, you know, people used to steal them and melt them down, but also actually so you can track where they are so you can get them back and refill them. So we're currently looking at a, a barcode-based system whereby we'll scan every keg that we produce and then log where we sell it to on a delivery note electronically, so we've got full traceability of all our kegs. Mm -hmm. So at any one time, we can say to customer A, B or C, by the way, you've currently got 6,000 kegs belonging to us, can you round them up and get them back? Because we need to fill them. So that, that, that's, some companies have started to look at that um, with varying degrees of success, but we, we think we've got, we've got to do it. Because I mean, you can take that step further really, can't you? And then you can start to, uh, talk about like the internet of things and you can put a probe in your kegs and you can start to understand when the kegs are empty and when they're full yeah. and what temperature they're operating at yeah. so you can maximize the the quality of the end product to the customer yeah. and start to report in that respect so so yeah, yeah. but that's the start of it you know put a barcode on it yeah. the intention is right yeah. and good and then from that you easily put a little probe in it yeah. You know, with a SIM card that's just reporting back to you and you're shipping the next full one before that one's empty. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then if, if, we, if we look at our sales team, so again, this is primarily the sales team that call on pubs. So we need to know which pubs are selling our cider, what other products are selling alongside it, how well our products are doing. And we, we don't know that at the moment. We don't, if you said to me hand on heart, tell me every pub within 10 minutes of here in Cheltenham that sells Stouffer Press, I, I wouldn't know. Mm. And that's because some of them will be directly controlled by us, some of them will be through our various partners, the big brewers who own pubs or service pubs, 
they could be putting our product in and we might not know until three months later when we get a list, by which time it might already have been taken out and moved somewhere else. Mm. You know, and we need, we need to be much better at understanding where all our products are sold because we can then target the outlets that are doing well, we can support the outlets that are not doing so well, we can focus our sales resource better. Mm. You know, we've, we've got a lot of guys out there on the road. If he goes to a pub that took our product off two months ago and we didn't know, it's a wasted journey, you know, and we'd need to know a month before it was taken out, so we make sure they don't take it out and put right whatever the problem was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, and it's that we call it CRM, customer relationship management, but it's a it starts with a call log, but that call log needs to be much more sophisticated that shows everything that in that's in that outlet from our products, competitor products, what taps we've got, whether we've delivered point of sale to them, uh, and you know. So you can create data. I mean, you're talking create about data, data you can and, use. Yeah, yeah, but then you've got to create the data, but then you've got to create it with the intentions of its usage. Yeah. Because lots of people create lots of data. Some of it's valuable, some of it is meaningless. Yeah. But they don't know what to do with it. No. And often they don't even know they're creating it. Yeah. 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 So you've yeah. got to have the intention to create it and, you know, and understand what you want to do with it. And I think... You guys seem to have had that thought. Yeah, we, we, we've, we've had the thought. Um, we haven't got the solution. We, 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 we've got technology that we're told should give us the, that functionality, but it's not been proven yet. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's still work in progress for us. And, and it, it, can, it can pay for itself because, as an example, I look after our telesales and telemarketing teams. So probably six, eight times a year in a normal year, we'd put that team to focus on sell stuff for press to that list of pubs, as an example. Mm. Well, when they spend the first hour ringing pubs that are either not pubs anymore or haven't sold stuff for press for two years, mm. you've realised you've got a problem with your data mm-hmm. and it's just cost you eight, eight man hours ringing pubs that don't exist, that are bloody yeah. Tesco's now. You know? yeah. yeah, or McDonald's. And yeah, McDonald's yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the return's obvious. And I think if you look at it around productivity, lost revenue, or potential misrevenue, yeah. then the, the the numbers stack up really quickly yeah. and really easily. Yeah, yeah, but again, it, it's a cultural thing. I think the organisation's got to be minded like that. The senior management team have got to be thinking in that way. You've got to be focused on growth and expansion and doing better and being better. Yeah. Uh, I think you you imagine everyone is like that, but not yeah. everyone is. No, they're not. No, yeah. no. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're not the biggest cider makers in the UK. We're, we're a decent size, but we need to have a mindset that means the product quality must always be paramount. If, if we're going to talk to people about we produce cider in the traditional way, we only use bittersweet apples, we only use apples grown within 50 miles of the mill, we've got this great heritage, blah, 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 blah. Those things are really important, but it has to be reflected in the product. So the product has to be really bloody good. Yeah. And then with everything else, we've got to punch above our weight because we can't throw 50 million pounds at marketing in the way that the big yeah. brewers can. Mm. So we've got to be a bit smarter. Mm. Interesting. Interesting stuff. It is. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of you know, what we've seen in terms of if you get that core data set right, then it's been really interesting. As Like you know, a customer of mine said to me recently, you know, I'd like to see the data I'm not too sure what I would like to see out of it yeah. sort of thing but once you've got that integral set of data and, it, and you can rely on that yeah. it's almost like the possibilities open up quite a great theory so well, actually can I look at yeah. this trend can I look yeah. at that can I yeah. compare you know last year's sales with this year's sales yeah. you know this yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah that's a yeah. good place to be and in, in, in the pub in the pub world the pub world is a very it's a moving feast because basically you've got three types of pubs You've got the pubs that are owned and managed by big chains and they are dictated to by their head office what they're going to stock, what price they're going to sell it at, blah, blah, blah. And we can do a deal with those guys and if we do the deal, they make it happen. Then you've got what's called the leased and tenanted sector, which is where big pub goes own the building, then they rent it out to somebody who runs it as their own business, who pay a rent and they can buy from a much more extensive list and they can make it work or not make it work depending on how good they are, how entrepreneurial they are. Then you've got what's called the free trade. So these guys are single or sometimes multi-site owner operators 
they can stock what they want. You know, so you've got to have a really robust argument with these guys to say stocks don't repress because you know its rate of sale is good. You can get slightly higher price, um, price per pint than you can on some of the more mainstream because it's more premium. So you know we've got to adapt ourselves to those three quickly and quickly. Yeah, real yeah. time, really. Yeah, now yeah. I want to yeah, yeah. see the data live now. Yeah, supermarkets very different. They'll, yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll give you as much data as you can. You could spend forever analysing the data you get from supermarkets. The masters. Oh. Well, they are the masters, but they're enterprise level, and they've got teams and banks of people, you know, creating data and using data to their advantage to create a better outcome for their customers because they're very customer focused. They know that they work hard to get that customer over the threshold, and when they've got them there, they've got to do a good job. Uh, otherwise, it's all to, all in vain. And they know their consumers are. Yeah. You know, they've got, they've, got, they've got club cards, they've got nectar yeah. cards, whatever it might be. They know exactly who their consumers are, yeah, yeah. and they can tell you these people drink your products or buy your products. They can only tell the buyer, not the drinker. Yeah, of course. They're not always the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're clever yeah. people, and they understand the value of it. They understand the value of data. Yeah. And club card, I mean, is a revelation, really, isn't yeah. it? And it's been around for years, yeah. but the insight it gave to Tesco's, I mean, they've messed up along the way, haven't they, for different reasons. But I mean, that was the thing that separated them from the competition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it was. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. In the bump. Yeah, there's, you know, there's no coincidence when you get your £3.50 Tesco voucher, but it, it's also got 50 pence off Henry Weston's if you bought Henry Weston's two weeks ago. That's not a coincidence. Look, <laughs> how did they know? Two for one on Harold. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, and that, that is the power of it, and I think you're right. I think you people should focus on it in, in, in every in every respect yeah. but it's difficult to turn your mind to it because I've got a, a production line to run yeah. you know I've got distribution to worry about you know I've got yeah. you know a harvest to to, to get yeah. so it, it kind of moves its way to the back of the line but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but it, you know it, it, it's an integral part of it uh, you know of being this company rooted in history that that's modern and responding to the market as it is today so mm, you, you've got to, you, you've got to be both you've got to have both hats on and the harvest starts now this week oh gosh fruit starts coming in this week yeah God. yeah yeah so till that must be an interesting thing just that seeing yeah. harvest so we'll 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 take in between now and the end of november about thirty thousand tons of apples so, 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 so let, give us give our listeners the opportunity to imagine what thirty thousand tons of apple looks like. <laughs> right, <laughs> if you had a the biggest lorry that is allowed on the UK road, yeah. if that was just a, a, an open bed at the back with sides, yeah. Yeah. and it was full of apples, that would be twenty to twenty five tons. So right. we take. 12, 1300 of those equivalent over right. the next few months. All it right. doesn't come in those lorries mostly. Yeah. Some of them do. It mostly comes in five or six ton trailers driven by tractors. Of course, yeah. That come into the mill from now on. They tip, they tip their apples into a big pit. They get washed and then they go through the process and right. then we store the juice. Because we always make from locally grown apples, we have to have huge storage capacity on site because everything we bring in over the next few months has to be enough to survive about 18 months. So until this, this bunch of apples now, we'll be producing cider in February, March of next year. How do you maintain its position? How do you preserve it? How do you... Well, you, 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 we store it in tanks, some of which are temperature controlled. We store it in oak vats. Uh, some, of the, some of the style... The Henry Weston style ciders that spend time aging in oak vats because it gives okay. it that particular flavour. Yeah. Um, again, cider's quite robust. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. So yeah. it sticks. Yeah. But the does the fermentation process start in the vat? Yeah. Right. So it starts, yeah. and then you do something to kick to kick it on again. No, you don't need to really. No, it just no. happens. Just just let just let it run its course. Right. Um, monitor the fermentation. Uh, uh, and then that's the cider maker's skill. You know, they then decide when it's ready, and then they store it and blend it when they need it. So I'm going to angle for an invite now. But <laughs> was, tell me about the cider mill in the restaurant. Yep. So we've got uh, so the mill. The mill is the official term for where we produce cider. It's a cider mill as opposed to a brewery. 
So that's the whole site is called the mill. So we run, we have on, we have a visitor center. Uh, we have a restaurant called the Scrumpy House, yeah. which is an old barn that's been converted to a bar and restaurant. We've got tea rooms actually as well. Uh, and we do daily tours. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously all that changed during the pandemic, that all closed down, but it's now reopened. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, it, it's, but it's restricted. So a number of people can go on a tour, they have to be one group at a time, one you know, bubble, if you like. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the tours are up and running again now, and now is the time to go once the fruit starts coming in, because you can see things that are very different. A bottling hall or a kegging hall, whether it's bottling beer, cider, fruit juice, whatever, it's pretty much the same. But seeing tractors tip bunches of apples into pits that are then washed through and pressed and mm. juice coming out of them, that's, very, that's the bit that's very different. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, we've, got, we've got examples of the, all the old style methods of production on site. So around here a lot you'll see these great big stones. stones yeah. yeah, so that's the mill where you, 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 you have a circular concrete trough. Uh, stone trough with a big wheel on its side that was was then dragged around by a horse and that would mill the apples so make them slightly smaller then they're put into a press which was often a screw press mm -hmm. i'm showing you in my hands which is useless yeah, but, thumbs up. but 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 yeah the, so the, the the pulp from the mill was then stacked up put into a press and squashed and then the juice would come out yeah yeah, yeah. i've seen it and, it's yeah. still done the same way, just on a bigger scale. You yeah. know, we just have more automated presses and mills. It just makes me smile. People's inventions, you know, the the stone mill with the stone stone and the yeah. and the endeavour and the horse. Yeah. Just to have a glass of cider and get a bit, yeah. bit merry. Yeah. And, and and the number of those mills still around. You know, they're all over Herefordshire, Worcestershire, and Gloucestershire. Yeah. Almost every farm you see by the farm gate, there'll be a a relic of an old mill or yeah. when my father, mother and father moved to um, to their last house they were uncovering a load of brambles and there was an old press and this was basically two stones with a big iron screw down the middle and they're they are quite rare a lot of yeah. those have perished right yeah yeah we'll have a company outing to uh, yeah come on yeah, look. And create our bubble yeah <laughs> peak, peak time is mid-october that's when we're flat out to the first week of November. Right. That, that three week period is when we're is flat out. Is it open out. seven days a week? During that period it will be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, the, 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 the visitor center, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the, the, the Scrumpy House restaurant is, is yeah, it's open like a pub, seven days right, a week. Right, right. Yeah. And the menu is a bit like we were talking about before, it's quite often pairing cider. Yeah, or... yeah, so you can, you, you, can, you, can, you can try all the ciders. There's, there's always various dishes cooked in cider and other dishes that go well with cider. So yes. yeah. Yeah, naturally enough you know the, the other thing about being in somewhere like Herefordshire is in addition to um, being one of the cider well the cider capital of the world in my view there's a lot of um, other agriculture there so you've got, you've got cattle you've got sheep you've got pigs you've got all your fresh fruit and veg you've got your potatoes all of which you know actually all of which you could get within a mile of where we are yes you know it's a real garden of England type yeah thing. we we've got our own um Heard of Herefordshire cattle? You know, they're world famous. The, mm. the the family, the Westons family, still run a farm. They've they've got a herd of prize-winning Herefordshire cattle, actually pedigrees. Um, when when Hereford Football Club, formerly known as Hereford United, when they play big games, a ball is walked right. around the pitch. Um, right. What league are Hereford in? They're. I mean, they, I mean the football league. No, they're not in the football league. Oh, they're, okay. they're two levels below the football league. Right. So you, they're the level below the conference, National League North, I think it is, yeah. when we start back. Um, but the ball that's walked around the pitch for the last ten years is one of our balls. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah. The, the, is it the Hereford that you know in Argentina and they talk about their, you know, the world round beef and steak? Yeah. It is the Hereford, isn't it? Started with the Hereford. So yeah. Texas Longhorn cattle are a hybrid of. Hereford cattle. Right. Yeah. So we usually like to end the podcast with some fairly nonsensical questions because okay. we feel that it really gets to know the person and the in depth sort of thing. Okay. So do you mind if I fire a few at you? Far away. It used to be, what was it? A, a, what was it, Nigel? It was a, a lion versus a tiger. No, a tiger versus a bear. Tiger versus a bear, pardon me. So we thought we'd try a different one today, which is. A pack of wolves versus a pack of hyenas. 
Mm. Pack of wolves every time. Right. I, I love the way wolves work as a team. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of having a clear hierarchy and who does what. Mm. Uh, I've seen wolves in the wild, they're quite magnificent. Yeah. I've seen hyenas and they're scummy little. Yeah. Uh, wolves every time. Yeah. Just because they're nicer, aren't they? Nicer. Look, look nicer. <laughs> one is a bit, I don't think a hyena is actually a dog. No, yeah, African wild dogs are different. Yeah, it's, yeah, not, it's, it's, more, it's closer to a... I'm just saying a load of rubbish now. A kangaroo. Or no, a guinea. Doesn't look any a guinea that, pig. Doesn't look anything like the kangaroos I see. No, to say. And a dog. <laughs> yeah. do, do, you fancy, do you fancy give us your own analysis, Nigel? Oh. What about hyenas and wolves? I mean, I, let me. I mean, I mean hyenas will fight off a lion. Yeah, I mean, I prefer no, wolves. Hyenas, I associate with cowardice. Yeah. So I'd have to go with wolves again. I'd have to. Yeah. I'd have to go with Alan and go the wolves. But I'm still interested. Tiger or bear? Mm. Tiger's very specific. Bear can be anything from polar bear to a little tiny bear. <laughs> like yeah. a grizzly bear. Ooh. The big big bear. The big big grizzlies. Okay, tiger. Oh, they look they look they look oh, magnificent. Self, they look magnificent. Yeah. I think Henry said No, I didn't. Yeah. No, he didn't. Yeah. He said tiger. Willie said tiger. Yeah. Well the next person we get on the pod we have to scope yeah. out and find out what they're gonna say. <laughs> yeah. Alright. So you found yourself in a gladiatorial arena, you've only got regular guard and equipment at your disposal. <laughs> yeah. uh, just to preface this, you're allowed battery power tools. Yeah. Uh, Not cordless, no, no cordless ones though. Okay. No, no, you, yeah, no, no cords allowed, it's cordless. Yeah, yeah. Battery, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and no fuel based weapons or guard and equipment like a fuel based chainsaw. Okay. What do you choose? Can I have a battery powered strimmer? <laughs> strimmer. That's interesting. My, my, Visit your legs. My, my strimmer's lethal. Yeah, yeah but it's some can be. I wouldn't want to come up against my strimmer. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's got one at home. He knows. Yeah. I mean, they can be like lightsabers, can't they? they yeah. Rip, rip on everything. Yeah. But they make the same noise as well, don't they? Yeah, they do. When they're going through grass, they do. Yeah. When they catch the bottom of the swing, they don't. <laughs> and next Not question is. Yeah. Next question is. Your ideal fry up? Right, my ideal fry up uh, would be bacon, mushrooms, field mushrooms, not the crap. So you're grilling or frying your bacon? Uh, fry, fry up it, isn't it? So okay. fry, frying the bacon. bacon oh, no, I still fry it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fried bacon, uh, fried mushrooms, fried tomatoes. I never eat it now, but I always used to love it as a kid. Fried bread. Yes. My mum, my Eggy bread or just fried? Just fried. Just well, you fried. don't get it anymore, it's beautiful. Isn't just it? fried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nowhere near a black pudding. Mm, nowhere never, near. I've never got a black pudding. No. On the black pudding. Uh, and I'm not a massive fan of eggs. So, bacon, mushrooms, tomatoes, fried bread, and some baked beans probably to have yeah. a bit of juice to it. And out the egg. It's pretty solid. It's a solid <laughs> option, isn't it? Washed down with a stove press. Of for course. breakfast. <laughs> Absolutely. You know it's going to be a good day, don't you? Yeah. yeah. And that's what I love about going to the races. You, you have a pint with breakfast and you know, yeah. you know you're on it, don't you? <laughs> breakfast of champions, that. Huh? <laughs> uh, we'll do one more, which is, what do you think would be humanity's reaction to the discovery of extraterrestrial life? Um... I think a lot of people's reaction would be, told you so. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who believe that it's already there. Generally, I think it would be, uh, it'd be a science-led reaction, wouldn't it? It would be perhaps an element of fear to start with, but then the scientists would take over. Mine would be relief. I'd be relieved <laughs> there was someone else. Maybe they were doing a better job than we were. Yeah, we're going to we need some mentors here. Guys. Yeah. Can you just tell us? Help. <laughs> yeah. Unless, of course, they were Neanderthal, which would yeah. yeah. Just tell us what to do. That's yeah. what I'd be like. You, you've got to imagine if they've got the technology to get here. Yeah. Then they're pretty advanced because we haven't got the technology to get there. It would be an odd because we are the you know see ourselves as the masters of the earth, and yeah. you know to someone to come along 
actually we're smarter than you in every respect would be yeah. quite a challenge I think for yeah. humanity to overcome mm. it might engender some humility yeah I mean but they might just be like you've got no choice we won't disappear down the conspiracy hole right now but you know there is a suggestion we're already controlled by those very aliens the lizards the lizards, the lizards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm reading a book at the Part moment. Part two of our podcast <laughs> available on the dark web. <laughs> I, I'm reading a book at the moment which was written a few years ago that talks about possible ways in which the world will destruct, and one of them is a pandemic. Right, right. Yeah. I know there's been a number. There's a yeah. film, wasn't there? What's the film called? Uh, Contagion. Contagion. Few, yeah. There was one with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. It's a good film, though. Yeah, it's quite frightening, I found it quite... Yeah, mm. yeah. But I think they do come along every hundred years or so. Yeah, well, Asian flu wasn't after the First World War. You know, we were kind of due. Years, yeah. One of my favourite books is Stephen King's The Stand, which is a pandemic-based book where okay. you know people just die and then yeah. it's a clash of good versus evil. Okay. Uh, yeah. Mm. Mm. Very good. Good. Well, should we wrap it up there? Is Wonderful to have you on. No, it's a pleasure. Now. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. It's good fun, wasn't it? Thank you for lunch. It's very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Good.